0: Hi there, and welcome to Bridges Cast. I'm, uh, I'm Scott, and I've got a super exciting guest with me today who I have to be honest, I've been badgering for a little while to come on, and she's finally agreed to. Um, and that is Helen Bevan. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, and um, thanks
1: so much, Scott, for having me. And I'm sorry it's taken so long.
0: No, that's quite all right. I'm uh, I'm just glad that you uh, you managed to come along. So, Helen, for people that don't know who you are, and and quite frankly, I I can't think that's many people. Can you just um, introduce yourself and uh, a bit about yourself, if that's right?
1: Yeah, I'm um, Scott. Absolutely. So so yeah. Hello, my name's Helen Bevan. And uh, I work for the NHS. I work for the NHS nationally for NHS England, and I'm a change leader. And actually, this is my thirty-second year. Congratulations! Yeah, wow, leading change Mm -hmm. in the um, in the NHS. I can't believe it's um, it's it's so long. And you know, all that time I've been uh, I've been supporting, uh, making, you know, helping to make improvements happen. So I. You know, started off um, working in, a, in a, a local NHS organisation and ever since 1998 I've been working nationally in the NHS and I, I helped to make change happen. So um, when I first uh, worked nationally I was a, a waiting list buster and I think the world's come round again, you know, because mm. um, 1998, you know, there were really long waiting lists, people waiting for outpatient appointments, people waiting for tests, people waiting for for surgery, and that's when I got my first very big job in the NHS. And you know, here we are, um, as hopefully beyond the pandemic, and we have the we have the same um, issues. But I've just, you know, worked with. With so many different um, change projects, so I've worked on um, uh, improving cancer services, um, improving um, services for people um, living with dementia, um, mm-hmm. improving community services. Um, uh, uh, I've worked on uh, improving the well-being of um, people that work in health and care. You know, what, whatever's been a big national priority, I've tended to uh, to work on that topic or with that group of people
0: and so how have you looked at those like enabling those improvements is there kind of a common theme that you've looked at for those for kind of facilitating those improvements
1: um, i think scott that there's that there's certain things whether you're you know, working with, you know, improvements for like a million people or improvements in a in a small setting that are that are the same things just done on a bigger scale. Mm. And I would say at the heart of that is, is how we think about people. You see, when I first used to work on these like massive, um, you know, change programmes, or, you know, we're trying to improve um, outpatient you know, um, services across the whole of England. I used to think that the magic was, you know, getting organised and having a big program and getting everybody involved. But actually, what I learned over a period of time was that wasn't where the magic happened. The magic wasn't the program. Actually, the magic was at the point of care. You know, with the uh, with the, the the people who were, um, uh, you know, using the service and the people providing the service and and what happened in 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 that relationship and you know that's where the magic of um, that's where the magic of improvement um, happens and I guess um, yeah another thing I'd say um, over the years is that you know you you really you can't do change to people or you can Mm -hmm. do change to people but it's very hard to uh, to sustain it and you can't even do change for people. Actually, mm. the most effective, you know, way is uh, is is you know doing change with people. And that, that's how I met you first time. Mm. And, you know, when our when our paths crossed in change projects, mm. which was great.
0: So, uh, so kind of along that theme, then, and yeah, so the those kind of people at the you know at the call face, as it were. Yeah, you know they're they're super busy and they are you know they're they are they're just kind of dealing with the day-to-day and they're not you know as soon as you mention change they a lot of them start to groan and, and think you know we you know we, we like how things are here how do you convince them that change is a good thing and that they need to change or that um you know that actually change can be actually be really beneficial to them
1: i i think scott we have to start from a place about like what matters to you hmm. because you know whenever you sit down you know whether you're talking about somebody with lived experience or you're talking about um a health and care professional actually when you sit down and you 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 really start to talk about you know what what really matters what matters to you mm. uh, once you start to do that then you then you know what you start to 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 find out is um is you know what people's what people's passions are what their priorities are and and you have to start from that place um you know i think i mean i think there's all kinds of like rubbish talked about mm. change you know that people people don't want to change and um, i don't i just don't think that's true i think mm. people it's not that people um uh, don't want change. I think it's that people don't want the kind of crappy way we go about inflicting change on people um, sometime. And, and I think, you know, y- you have to start from where from where um, people are and, and the more that you can involve people in change right from the beginning, the more that it can be co-produced with Mm. all the people that have got an interest in it, then the better the change is going to be. And it's problematic sometimes because people are busy or you know we haven't got time to invest in that. And yet, you know, if there's one thing I've learned over my 30 years is if you actually make the time at the beginning to to set the change up in a way Mm. that is engaging and people are invested in it, then you know, along the road of change, it's going to save you uh, a heck of a lot of time and effort.
0: Yeah, and I would kind of just really reiterate that. I think that's definitely something that I've noticed is that if if people feel like the the, the decision has already been made, and then they're kind of told, "Oh, well, this is how it's going to be done," that's when they get really deflated. Whereas actually, if they if they're really involved at the point of um you know at the point at the beginning of the change and actually they are and they feel like they can make a difference as well i think yeah. that can really help as well um you know i know certainly for me when i've been involved in um changes in projects if i feel like i can actually make a difference and this this isn't just something that's already been predetermined that can really help um things as yeah. well i i think
1: yeah Um, yeah I would completely agree again with you just agreeing with each other here um that you know people isn't yeah again another kind of mantra is you know people it's not that people don't like being changed people don't like being controlled
0: hmm.
1: and um yeah it's I mean it's really simple stuff we're talking about here isn't it and yet and yet so often we don't do it Hmm.
0: so looking then Helen in that kind of in in those thirty two years, and how the the kind of science of healthcare change has operated. How's that landscape been over that time? You know, has it has how we uh, how we do healthcare change? Has that changed itself a lot in that time?
1: What I'd say, Scott, is that some things are the same, and some things mm. are different so i think the things that are the same as they were 32 years ago is that there's you know a set of methods mm. um for improvement that if we use those methods like really well then we can make a very big difference mm. so again you know some of the methods that that, that i was using um, 3 three decades ago like like uh, rapid cycles of change. I mean, some people will talk about plan, do, study, act cycles, where you know, if you want to make a change happen, just try it in a in a really small way. You know, work with a couple of um, people with lived experience, or or work with you know, two or three um, health and care professionals. If you've got a good idea, just try it out in a in a in a small way, test it, and and then um, uh, reflect on it and and take it from there. So so I think you know a lot of the the methods and the approaches you know are the same and they've really um, they've really uh, stood the test of time and um, one thing that's that's very different is um working in in programmatic ways so uh, again you know the first project or the first job i had when i worked nationally in the nhs in 1998 i was part of a team called the national patients access team you know at uh, waiting times deja vu and um, and that was the first time there'd been, uh, you know, an, uh, a national programme team around uh, around um, a priority area. And so so, you know, I think we um, we got we got bolder, we got more sophisticated um, in our um, in our approaches to change. Um one thing that was very, very different. Um, uh, uh you know even even 10 years ago maybe even five years ago is that um people who use services weren't at the table you know i mean co-production i, I mean like you know to you or now i now would would seem so obvious mm. and and you know, you'd, you'd never do a project without p- people with uh, with lived experience in it um but i mean that's such a that's such a recent thing mm. um and a and a uh, you know and a um and a positive thing um, and probably the final thing i'd say is um you know i think that the kind of you know the, the the changes that we use we kind of go through life cycles like there's a certain methodology for a period in time that is very fashionable and then it kind of goes out of fashion and a and a, and a new one uh, comes in so i'd say that um you know all the way through the kind of the, the noughties onwards We were working in very programmatic ways. You know, if you'd have looked like in the year 2000, um, there was hardly anybody working in the NHS in change who was employed as a project or a program manager. We just didn't think in that way. And yet now um, there's there's thousands of people that work as as uh, as project and program managers. And, you know, I think it's a good thing. You know, Mm. we, we do need to work in highly systematic and disciplined ways. And. Um what what i'm seeing increasingly are are um, ideas that are coming say from social movement thinking you know understanding that um that actually the most effective way of making change happen is when you've got a whole series of different people a diverse group of people but you focus on shared purpose mm-hmm. and you give everybody a voice and and people engage in change because they you know they want to we're 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 um we're mobilizing so um i think we're really starting more and more to see some of those um you know social movement um community um organizing um uh ways of of um, of, of doing things oh actually i've just thought of one more can i can mm, i add one more yeah please do. and that and that's about how we think about power mm. and um and uh, you know, because, again, when you look at the health and care system and you look at the NHS, that often it's very hierarchical um, and, um, and, and, you know, change, particularly very often we're doing programmatic change. It's being done in a very, uh, in a very top down way. And, and I think in very positive ways that that's shifting now. You know, we're focusing much more on, you know, kind of jargon power with instead of power over, you know, more and more, um uh working with communities actually understanding that um again in terms of transforming health and care um it isn't about you know um or isn't just about expert services it's about um you know people coming together as community and um and and working with all the um, assets of um of the um, of the system and the community um, um, in change and understanding and embracing the informal system as much as the, the formal system. I think that's a very um, definite direction
0: we're seeing. So it, it strikes me that those three things that you talk about there, so co-production, social movement, thinking and, and the shift in power, all really closely related and, and very much intertwined. Do you think that's been a difficult shift for people who are are maybe a bit more traditional and and it's um it's it's very much a needed shift but there are people for whom are still thinking in in the old way and it's not to say that they don't want to think in the new way but but that they are you know they are a bit kind of paralyzed or or frightened and and how would you kind of say to them or how would you help them to think in this newer way of thinking
1: so the first thing i'd say scott is that um you know people and like nearly everybody has got a really good intention so like nobody thinks oh i don't i i don't want to change or Hmm. i don't want you to do that i think you know people have had success by operating in certain ways and, and they really, really want good things to happen. So they carry on doing, doing things the way that they've always done them. So, um, you know, even though, uh, you know, some people might, um, experience that as, as blocking or unhelpful or, or not supportive or, um, you know, um, uh, not, shift in the world actually you know however people are going about change that it, you know it's being it's being done with a um it's being done with a good intention mm. um so um you know i think yeah we have to we have to start from um, from that place really and um and i think that you know some of the most powerful things we can do is um uh, and you know that, that we can learn is is just by um, hanging out um, with people um, uh, um, at the point of care, people with you know lived experience, um, uh, you know, um, uh, thinking through and trying to stand um, hmm. in in other in other um, people's shoes, and and you know, I mean, I can, I mean, it's uh, blimey, it's only um, it's only like about twelve or thirteen years that I was involved in my first co-production projects, and uh, and they absolutely changed um how i uh, you know how i thought because um you know having the opportunity to stand in the sh- in in other people's shoes and understand th- and understanding the things that really mattered to them mm-hmm. and um and then thinking about you know how we have to go about change starting from uh you know people's lives it just mm-hmm. it, it it just changes your perspective and i think you know so much of it is about um it's about you know making the the time and the space um, for you know people with different views and perspectives to come together and and like when i look at me now and my job that's that's what i do more than anything else you know it's, is um is create, create time
0: space.
1: space for people um you know to come together and um, and find find their shared purpose and uh, and create create solutions uh, together um, yeah and uh, and um, you know it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do
0: so coming on to that then helen so i one of the things that i always impresses me so much about you is ha- how you use different tools to allow people to to kind of uh, to to kind of create that space you know so you you're you're somebody who is incredibly innovative in the different tools and Uh, mechanisms that you use to facilitate um whether it be sessions or or workshops or whatever it might be kind of how do you keep on top of those but also um kind of bring those tools and and techniques to people and present them in a way that that doesn't seem intimidating to these to those people because Mm -hmm. you know that that they they are quite innovative and, and groundbreaking, but you, you managed to present them in a way that, that seems very normal.
1: Well, um, thank you for saying that, um, Scott. And, I, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I love tools and approaches. Um, you know, when you're somebody that loves tools and approaches, it's really dangerous as well. Because, you know, one of the things about improvement is that you, you know, again, something I've learned over the years by, by getting it so wrong is that, y- like you should never lead with a tool, hmm. and um, uh, you know you should you should always start with um, the aim and what people are uh, are trying to achieve, and then think about you know what tool or method or approach can we use to achieve that. So so methods and tools, you know, should um, should always be in the background. And one thing about me is I'm not a purist. And, um, and I like um, a lot of different um, tools and approaches uh, from a lot of different uh, sectors. So I'm, um, you know, I'm quite, um, uh, happy with you know statistical um process control you know um very uh like you know reductionist data-driven um approaches and um and i love you know narrative community organizing um and you know too often what we do is that we we put people into little boxes so you know i see this in the nhs like i'll, I'll work with know people in a particular organization and what you'll see is there's a group of people in that organization who are the quality improvement team who who work all the time you know with um with quality improvement or continuous improvement um uh, methods uh, you know very often around um, improving um clinical pathways and then there'll be another group of people in that organization who work in od organizational development and you know, they'll be working on uh, you know uh, um, increasing you know equality and diversity in the organization or changing the culture and these two groups of people are in the same organization they've got the same employer and yet they never talk to each other don't even know each other yeah. and I think you know so so much of what we need to be doing is is you know looking at, at different tools um perspectives and experiences and and learning from each other and and you know bringing them bringing them uh uh, together so um so yeah I'm just inherently curious you know always have been I mean you know my mum said that when I was a small child I just um you know drove her crazy because all I did was just ask questions the whole time like never gave her any peace and um and and I'm still like it now and you know, I think when you do the kind of job I do, you kind of have a choice. You can be like an expert or you can be an explorer. And mm-hmm. an expert is somebody who who knows, you know, a lot of stuff around different approaches and tools. And so mm-hmm. people will come to you as an expert and you'll kind of you'll give them that your wisdom. Okay. The problem with being an expert, particularly an improvement, is that it shuts your mind down because you've got, mm. you know, you know, you, you know, you're not constantly looking for new things because you're the expert. You know all the, you yeah. know, you know, know loads of stuff, and people come to you for the methods. Mm. Whereas if you see, yeah, when you see yourself as an as an explorer rather than expert, you know, you're just wanting to find new things all the time. So, so like every day. I'm, um, I'm finding new methods and things that I'm interested in. And I think I'll never, I'll never stop um, being like that, but, but not, you know, everything I'm interested in is inherently practical in a sense that, you know, what I'm interested in is, is how we change things. So, so finding new tools and new methods and, and trying them out, Mm. you know, like, um, yes, wanting to make a difference and yeah that's what i like doing
0: so so one of the things that i fascinates me so much about you helen is your ability to translate really quite complex um things to 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 quite i'm not going to say simple but quite straightforward terms so um you know I, i think working in improvement you need to be able to um, to be able to to, to translate things that are, are you know are quite complex down into quite straightforward ways for people you know people who are busy or on you know are on the front line, but also you know as as you're mentioning, if you're looking to work in co-production, people who are in lived experience who potentially have no understanding of maybe some of these tools or, or working in healthcare how do you how do you approach that you know to kind of distill some of these really quite complex approaches or theories you know to to a way that that can be understood by by many different kinds of of people
1: Um, that's a great question scott and maybe i'll flip it to start with if that's Mm. okay Mm. because i actually think that um that we can use tools in a in a really bad way okay which is that you know with a lot of um improvement um, methods there's a whole load of jargon you know we talk about mm. kanbans and kaizens and 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 like it's like the people in the know you know become the experts because mm. they start using this language and like you you know it happened to me as well you get involved in improvement and you 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 learn all this new language and all of a sudden you're really clever or you're part of the in crowd mm. because you understand the language but like you say the 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 problem with it is that it, it keeps people out because, mm. you know, if people don't understand the kind of the, the, the secret language of uh, improvement and they can't use it to make a difference, then then they're excluded. And I think mm. that one of the key things we have to do in improvement is build is build a sense of belonging. You know, and, and like if, we, if we're talking about a change team or a community that we're building, you know, we, we, we have to build a profound um, uh, sense of belonging. And people can only, I think, feel that sense of belonging and part of that change project if, um, if you know, people feel that they're being um, appreciated for the unique things um, um that they that they bring, and and we just can't do that if if there's some kind of you know clever secret um, this clever secret language. Mm. So and um, the the second thing I I would say is that um, George Box was a statistician. He said you know um, um, all models or tools are wrong, and uh, and some of them are useful. So actually I think it's the job of people like me to to you know um, look at the tools that are out there, you know, um, um, what people are using, um, you know, make sense of them and, um, and bring them into our, um, our change teams and our change communities, and um, you know, in, in ways that are, um, that are very, um, usable. And again, you know, the only way that we can do that is, is to actually, um, is use them in, in real life and to, and to, you know, um, and to, to try um, things out. And, and. You know, I'd go back to what I said to you right at the beginning, really, that, you know, the idea of um, of doing plan, do, study, act cycles, trying things out, you know, small scale that applies to tools as, as much as it does to, um, you know, changes, uh, uh, you know, changes in services. And, um, you know, we need to be um we need to be experimenting i mean the kind of the language that people are talking about now a lot is about we need to build a learning system you know we need to be constantly learning we need to be um looking at our own data and i i really um i i really believe that um, and we need to be learning about about uh, tools and methods as as much as we need to be learning about um you know um, changes to actual um services or relationships and connections
0: so on that point of data then how do we ensure that we don't collect data for the sake of collecting data how do we make sure that we collect meaningful data yeah. um,
1: I, I think uh, I think data is a um, is a very big uh, and um, an important um, um, question so I, I'd actually add to your question Scott so it's, I'd say how do we make sure that we we only collect you know useful and meaningful data and secondly how do we use it um, to make a difference mm. Um. Uh, and I think both those questions are are critical. So, so the first thing I'd say is we have to be really clear about our aims. Um, you know, and and um, it's um, it's still like surprises me and saddens me how much we're getting people you know in, in in clinical teams to collect loads of data and we don't understand like why we're why we're collecting the the data so so and, and again you know if we actually work in co production uh, collaboratively and we set aims um with people that Um, that the aim fits in with the things that we all believe in and we all want to see and actually spend quite a lot of time getting our aims right Mm. then then the data will flow from that and i really see a difference sometimes between teams that are collecting data because they're doing an improvement project and they're excited about it and they want to collect the data versus teams where They've, they've got to collect the data because somebody's asking them to collect the data and that's when it becomes a chore. so, so if we've you know if we're working in a way where we've got a whole load of people um, engaged with a sense of shared purpose and a clear aim then then um, collecting data becomes a joy mm-hmm. and and also we um, and again it goes back into the thing about the, the plan do study act cycles that, that sometimes finding the data, that that fits with the aim can be really really tricky you know it's not it's not um it's not straightforward mm. so I'm d- involved in a project at the moment uh, for instance um an internal project about um you know um uh, people that we're uh, recruiting as clinical professionals to, to come into the NHS from um, overseas countries we want to retain those people okay and mm. um, but you know um uh, it's going to take, you know, four or five years before, um, before we've actually got the data around whether people stayed or not, were retained or not. So we've got to find um, other kind of data in the meantime um, that, um, that are kind of proxy um, um, data. Um, so, so you know, like like we know, for instance, that if we um, if we you know welcome um, people, um, if if we create a sense of belonging, um, uh, you know when we uh, when we when we recruit um, new colleagues from um, from overseas, um, if we um, if we provide um, a wider um, a group of support services like housing. If we um, support people to build their own networks, they're um, they uh, they are more likely to stay working in the NHS. Okay, mm. so so we can measure whether those things are happening in the short term to give us an indicator for the for the longer term. But you know, we just have to with data. We just have to keep trying. That's an experiment. Um, uh, you know, as as well. And then the worst thing I think that we can do is get people collecting a load of data and we just like shove it into a into a a hole somewhere and, and nothing happens as a result, you know, and if we're collecting data. We, we have to be you know um, supporting people to to use that data to show it's making a difference. So like you know we can get a whole load of people with lived experience, you know people that use services to come and get involved in a in a project. But unless we're, you know we're also um, showing the difference that that's making and we're um, engaging everybody, what's that data telling us? Okay, mm-hmm. have we got an improvement or not? What do we need to do differently? So, so you know, so much of this is about is about not just you know collecting the um, the, the 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 right data that's connected with a name, but also um, uh, you know using that data in ways that create improvement. And again, when we talk, you know, lots of people are talking about learning systems at the moment, and that's one of the key things that they're talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I would really reiterate that. I, I, I think we see a lot of the time in our work. If the data is presented well, then it can actually work so much better for the people that are collecting it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I really just re-emphasize your point that if if, if the data is sh- is presented in a in a useful and meaningful way, then people are actually really enthused to collect that data and also hand over that data as well, um, yeah. which I, I think is also is a is a really important point. Um, so Helen, looking ahead then to the next thirty years in in healthcare, and, and I don't know whether you'll still, still be involved in, in healthcare in the next thirty years or not. But um, you know, what? How do you kind of see healthcare in the next thirty years, and and how do we ensure that we kind of that we take the most advantage of improvement uh, over the next those next thirty years?
1: So um, I will be quite old in 30 years, but um, I'll, I'll tell you some some things that that I think Um I think that, um, uh, you know, the nature of care and like, you know, where does health care um, end and, and social care uh, begin, I think, you know, increasingly um, we're we're moving to community um, settings and and um, and place based settings. And, you know, when I started in health and care improvement 30 years ago, everything was about hospitals, you know, Mm -hmm. all the big improvement projects were 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 hospital based. And I think, you know, more and more, um, we're gonna, we're gonna see that, um, that, you know, shift um, away to, uh, to much more um, community um, orientated um, uh, approaches. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the boundaries, if you like, between the formal and the informal system, I mean, we're seeing that already are, are going to shift and it it won't just be about, you know, healthcare professionals providing, um, uh, you know, um, expert uh, clinical services. I think it will be about all kinds of people doing, um, doing uh, you know undertaking roles um that um that you know um, support um, healthy lives And um, i think that as care is becoming you know more and more um place based then um we're going to we're going to see lights that are, that are shone um uh, more and more on health inequalities and you know i mean so many difficult things happened um, during the pandemic but you know one of the things I think that's been really good is that people now certainly in the in the system where I am are talking about health inequalities in ways that that you know we um, we we never did um, uh, before and uh, you know an understanding of of that and and if it's about you know local context and um, uh, that's going to be happening and um, another thing i think uh, this is like a really horrible um jargony term and i apologize for this but you know if you look at like netflix or amazon you know they talk about um, they talk about mass customization mm. and i think that what we're um, what we're going to see is is uh, is personalization on a really uh, on a really big scale so you know if you're p- providing care for 300,000 people or half a million people uh, it doesn't mean that everybody has to come and get you know um, and uh, go through the the uh, you know the formal system in the same kind of way i think that uh, that that care is going to become a um, uh, and, and it's becoming and it's going to it's going to accelerate in terms of, um, uh, you know, a deeply um, uh, personalised and, um, uh, uh, you know, based on based on um, what's what's um, needed locally. Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, it, you know, it, 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 it has to change. Because I think if we carry on with the current system, um, uh, uh, and you know people get older and the demand gets greater, the current system is going to be unsustainable. Um, and I think so many people are ambitious for the for uh, for the system. So I've been doing some work with Health Education England, which is about taking a 15 year forward view of like what's the workforce n- needs of health and care um, mm. going to be. And you know one of the best things about that is. Um, is people are so ambitious for for health and care and so ambitious for the for the um, health of the population uh, that you know I've been really um uh, uplifted um by um by uh, by some of that and and in terms of you know um like you say you know making the most of of, um, of the positive um, changes I think it's about um just getting getting people really involved. And, you know, getting to a stage where improvement isn't something that's just done by a few experts. Like, you know, everybody's, um, everybody's an improver. And, you know, your, everybody's job, okay, or role is one where, yes, you do the core job of, you know, if you're a clinician providing clinical care, and, you have a second job, and your second job is about continually improving um, the way that the um, that the care is provided, and you know, um, uh, looking at the data, um, you know, working, um, it, you know, um, constantly in co-production um, to um, you know to, to you know to to keep things moving and keep things um, changing, and I think that. Um, uh, no, I don't think the robots are going to take over. I think that um, I think that that we're going to see, you know, phenomenal um, digital, um, uh, you know, um, um, innovations. Um, uh, 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 and I think the kinds of jobs that people are going to do in support of health are going to be different. But I, again, I'd say those same things. You know, highly personalised, um, um, local. Um, uh, and um, you know, and 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 hopefully, yeah, based on community.
0: I, I just want to pick up on the point that you just made about the 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 role that everyone has in in contributing to improvement, and I think we've seen some of this recently in some of the the crowdsourcing. Um, efforts that have been made in terms of, um, you know, looking at uh, trying to solve some of the problems in in kind of the problems that the healthcare system is facing at the moment. And I think what that shows in in both kind of the crowdsourcing efforts, but something that we've seen in certainly in the co-production sector for a long time, is that we actually get some really innovative ideas that come up um, from from everyone taking a view on improvement but also what we we often see is that is that actually these that by everyone being invested in improvement um a means that everyone's on board but b that um that that they're not you know i i think we sometimes think that well if everyone's involved then you know we can that we're going to ask the world but actually what some of these amazing ideas that have come up are, are often fairly straightforward but are really kind of out of the box thinking ideas um and I don't know if you agree with that but um yeah yeah and yeah, what I've been observing
1: yeah no I can I, I observe absolutely the same thing um Scott and you know I th- again um I think where it's the right um, methodology, crowdsourcing can be fantastic, mm. and you know when we talk about crowdsourcing, we mean let's let's create a platform where we've got you know a particular issue or problem, and let's invite um, you know anybody that's got a good idea to 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 give us um, their ideas. And, um, and you know, we can where we do it well, we can get some really um, phenomenal um, ideas. And um, and again, one of the things that you and I are both involved in um, at the moment is around crowdsor- is around cr- uh, crowdsourcing, i.e., you know, opening up um, um, you know opportunities for anybody to uh, to contribute in terms of ideas on how we can uh, improve, ele- you know, uh, planned elective services um, uh, beyond the pandemic. And, you know, what I'd say about this is sometimes, you know, when you're doing when you're doing crowdsourcing, like you're saying, please give us your ideas. Sometimes people think that if you kind of create a platform where people can put their ideas across, then um, then uh, you'll just get ideas. Mm. And and the reality is that you don't. And and I think this brings us back to like where you and I started this conversation, Scott, because it's like, you know, co-production, co co it's a relationship Mm. and and even with something like crowdsourcing um it it has to be um it has to be highly relational because when somebody you know um, volunteers and puts their idea on a crowdsourcing platform okay you know um, makes the effort to to get their ideas across they're doing so on the basis that somebody is gonna you know take account of their idea And if you put your idea on a crowdsourcing platform and nothing happens, you know, you don't get any reply, nobody thanks you, uh, you don't know what happens to your idea, you'll never do it again. Mm. So, you know, this idea that you're talking about in terms of, you know, um, we want to engage everybody. I think that's another actually what you're talking about is a really important part of the the future because you know change and improvement is is highly relational you know Mm. and every single person who puts their idea on on a crowdsourcing platform their good idea whether they're you know, somebody um, with lived experience, um, a family member, or somebody that's won the Nobel Prize for Medicine, you know, all of those people need to be, um, need to be thanked, they need to understand that their ideas being um, assessed, Um, they need to You know understand whether their ideas um being taken forward and if Mm -hmm. their idea is taken forward they need to be you know praised and engaged and um and and supported and and honestly i think that if we build the right kinds of relationships um around these kinds of um activities and you know we're working in a in a with shared purpose but all our work is done in a in a in a dignified respectful collaborative um, human-centered way um i think it's the most important thing that we need to do um you know for um um uh, you know for improvement and you know one thing you know sometimes when we have meetings um, we have a ground rule and it says no hippos mm-hmm. and what we mean by hippo is the highest paid person's uh, opinion counts the most
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and i think you know we need to be um creating a space for improvement in terms of how we work together with with no hippos mm. you know and and make everybody feel that their ideas li- like you know um, really matter and and if we do that and it's relational then pe- then people will come back and people will keep doing it
0: well I think we might have a, a new show title for this uh for this podcast Helen um oh okay so so just before we finish then Helen uh, are there any kind of piles of wisdom, or or any thoughts that you want to kind of leave us with, um, you know, any uh, what are your kind of top tips? I, I, you know, you've given us so many today already, but you know, are there any other kind of points that you that you want to kind of really drive home?
1: So maybe just to um, reiterate, Scott, some of the things I'd say hmm. um, already. So the first thing I'd say is, um, you know, change and improvement is inherently relational so anybody that sets themselves up as an improvement leader or a change leader and you know all of us need to to think about our own behaviors because people will judge us as a change leader and not by how great our plans are or how many improvement techniques we know okay people will judge us as a change leader by our own behavior by the extent to which we um, engage other people by the extent uh, to which we make it safe, you know, for people to um, to speak up, mm. and and also the extent if we say we're going to do things and we're going to follow up that we actually um, that we actually do. So so you know I'd say um, relationships and uh, and behaviours uh, first. Um, uh, the second thing I'd say is um, uh, it's so much easier to do change. Um, when people want to do it not because they have to do it and even if you're working on something that's like a government you know big government um priority and you know you've got some quality standards that you've got to hit and you've got to make this happen because you know um because ministers um you know need it to happen we're still far far more likely to deliver it if we do it in a way um, where um, where we're really engaging people right from the beginning, and we're um, we're we're doing it in ways where people have got an opportunity to um, you know to really uh, to really contribute, so um, you know um, want to change rather than than have to, I think um, um, nearly um, uh, uh, nearly every time. And then and then probably the final thing I would say is. Um, is always assume that the that other people have got a positive intent. So even when people are resisting change and are being the biggest pain going, because you you're trying to make something really great and positive happening, and you've got a group of people that are like really um, against it, and um, you know, we need to find out why. And because you know, even people that are resisting change will be doing so with a good intention from their perspective, and actually finding out what that is, um, uh you know um we'll actually end up doing the change you know doing the change um um far better because we take we um we you know we um, we take that on board so um so you know always take the time, I'd say uh, to find out um why people are resisting and and maybe connected to that as well the other thing I'd say is about building a spectrum of allies and which is which which relates to that and what I mean by that is over the years I've worked on so many change projects where you've got a group of people who are absolute enthusiasts for that for that change or that area and you end up being like a little echo chamber like a little group of you that really want to make that thing happen and it doesn't ever get beyond that group so mm. we actually, and again, you know, we can take so much learning from social movement thinking around, you know, who are the people that actually are the opponents of um, of what we're trying to do and, and how can we, um, you know, what's going on for them? Why are they opposing it? How can we actually bring those people on board to be allies? So always trying to, you know, for any change that we're trying to do, always trying to find um, a, uh, um, you know, a bigger spectrum of people to engage in it, because that's when we start to get breakthroughs and big things happen. Mm.
0: Well, Helen, just thank you so much. This has been a, a real, a real uh, yeah, a real privilege, and and great to chat with you. Where can where can people find you online? Um...
1: Um, the best place to find me, um, Scott, is on Twitter, and mm-hmm. that's where I'm most active. So it's um it's at um, Helen Bevan tweet.
0: Okay. Um, and, we'll... and other
1: ways, another ways of connecting with me are are, um, are on Twitter as well. So so that's the best place to start.
0: And we'll we'll put your Twitter handle in the in the show notes, Thanks. and uh, and yeah, so you can follow uh, Bridges on Twitter as well at Bridges South MGMT. Um, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, if you don't subscribe, then uh, please you can uh, subscribe in any uh, any podcast player, so whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. so yeah, thank you so much for listening, and uh, and we'll catch up with you again soon.